Hello, listeners. This is episode 11. Thanks for tuning in. This is the week after July 4th. We have no interview. After the opening, we're going to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of day counting. Before we do that, I'm going to play a little clip from TikTok that I hope will make you laugh. This is how you make Kratom tea. It's pretty much like regular tea. Yeah, it's just like a a friendly, good neighborhood tea, except it's the most violently addictive and habit-forming tea you'll ever take in your fucking life. And yes, I understand it's not addictive for everybody, but there's a fucking whole bunch of us that it's super addictive for. Stay woke, friends. That's from Matt Keegan on TikTok, and I just love that. It makes me laugh out loud every time I hear it. It is true a couple of grams of Kratom tea with trace amounts of 7-HMG is not addictive. It's something like between eating a CBD gummy and a mild low-dose Delta-8 product. But most Americans are not drinking tea like that. They're consuming large amounts of concentrated extract products or large amounts of powder. It is a light beer versus a multi-shot booze cocktail comparison for what's going on in the real world. The other part of the tea issue is an intentional framing by pro-creative advocates to present themselves in the most sympathetic manner. Like some of them are tea drinkers, but the main reason is to make it sound like they're old ladies sitting around sipping tea, and who would be against that? The coffee comparison is demanding too. Yes, Kratom is related to coffee, but apple cider has fermentation like booze does. Look, I had a caffeine addiction 10 years ago. This is how it went down. I had an office out of my home. I'm away to the office. I got in this habit of getting a cappuccino or other coffee. And after about a year of that, I realized, wow, that's like two to $300 a month, $3,000. And in today's inflation, that'd be like 6,000 bucks. So I was like, hmm, that's, that's just a waste of money. So I moved to making coffee at the office. Now, the second level of the addiction went like this. When I made a pot of coffee, I ended up drinking the whole pot. Or my favorite was a French press. That was too much coffee too. So the second stage of the addiction, I just moved to single serving. It was as simple as that. One time over Thanksgiving, I was drinking too much coffee and I decided to give it up for a week or two. And that Thanksgiving I chose because it was like a four day vacation. I had a couple headaches. It was nothing like giving off Kratom. It is nothing like I hear with people in my Zoom meetings or on the internet. These people's experiences are real. They're not confused because they're detoxing off other stuff or because they just are not smart or. <laughs> You know, or because they have health issues and they're just attributing it to the Kratom. Kratom addiction is a real thing. It's serious and it has nothing like coffee. I looked at the scientific literature at um, caffeine use disorder, which is a real thing. And the treatment for that is usually the form of short-term motivational interviewing and psychoeducational self-help materials. There are a couple extreme examples of hospitalizations and sometimes people are prescribed pain or sleep meds when they're hooked on caffeine. There are some references to studying group therapy and phone interventions as treatment options for caffeine addicts. In contrast, the treatment for Kratom can include more and more people are going in for short-term medical detox. Just because the withdrawals are so intense and agonizing, they need a medical supervision. Some people are doing residential treatment 
it's still, I would say, rarish, but it it's happening more and more. Prescriptions for medicated assistant treatment for Kratom, I believe, is skyrocketing. Now, there's some issues with doctors. You know, if they have a hammer and that's their only tool, that's the tool they're going to use. And that's, you know, when I go to the doctor for any condition, the first thing they want to do is give you a prescription. So I definitely know that's the dynamic going on. But the Kratom abuse and addiction and dependence is just becoming more and more prevalent. The you know, medical establishment doesn't know what to do with it. That's why they're treating, treating it with medications. Kratom quitters report major health issues with their internal organs, skin and hair, stomach, on and on. There are significant withdrawals, sometimes severe. Sometimes they're mild and sometimes they're moderate. These withdrawals are both physical and mental, often lasting weeks to many months. There is a big continuum of that. There appears to be high rates of relapse with those who want to stain from Kratom. And more and more, there's increasing stories of many life problems. I'm hearing more reports of stealing to maintain Kratom habits. And then severe disruptions in relationships, education, career, and family for people. And there's cross-addiction and there's interaction between those substance abuse problems. What is happening in the real world shows Kratom is nothing like coffee dependence, despite the shared branches of the botanical life tree. Is it as bad problem as heroin or opiates? No, but it's still an issue many are struggling with, and I hope this podcast helps. We did get a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. This is from Tarzan729 from June 22, 2023. Thank you so much for creating this show. I've been searching for this content to help me quit. These stories of overcoming Kratom addiction is so inspiring and helpful with my struggles with this green demon. You're welcome. After the music, we'll discuss the pros and cons of day counting. Well, you may have noticed in recent episodes, I stopped offering these Kratom-free sobriety coins. At the beginning of the show, I printed up on a 3D printer, 30-day, 90-day, 6-month, and 1-year sobriety milestone coins for Kratom-free anniversaries. And what happened, and the reason I stopped offering them was, about half the people that I sent coins to in the last couple of months have relapsed. And it made me feel like, wow, maybe this is not helping. Maybe this is a kiss of death. And it did make me think about what are the pros and cons of day counting? Cause there's some issues with it. But before I get into that list, I did realize a couple observations about the distributions of the coins that I did in the last couple of months is one, a couple of weeks ago, I, I cited a peer-reviewed scientific article that said that Kratom relapse was prevalent from 79 to 89% of the time within 90 days of trying to cease use. So I think that might be part of the issue um, with the coins I mailed out. And second, I think there might have been some kind of self-selection bias. 
meaning the people that asked for coins or the people that I offered coins to might have been feeling or were on thin ground and were and the reason the coin happened was because there was some unconscious sense that like maybe this would help, you know, but they were already far along enough that a relapse path that the coin can prevent that. On that note, if you would like a coin, despite all that, and despite the pros and cons I'm going to give you, send me an email or phone number or reach out, and I'd love to send you one. I have plenty still remaining. The pros for day counting. Number one, accountability. This is the main reason. It's for yourself and for whatever program you're in, out loud, what day you're at, keeps you in track. And you know, Mike talked about in his interview that when he stopped day counting, it eventually led to a slip, and then the slip eventually turned into ongoing use again. In his case, very mild. Uh, and that is the point of day counting. Is the theory behind it is that if you use one time, that for most people, their disordered use will come back, and then for many people, it comes back with a vengeance. So I just. Stay clean today, avoid use today, and then do that again tomorrow. The reason to do day counting is motivational. As you stack these days together, build a streak. When you see the days on many people use a counter on their app, it gives you an inspiration to stay on track. Reaching these milestones can feel good. <laughs> Um, and keep you on track and motivated to stay the course. Three, counting the days can help with reflecting. I did this a lot. I looked at, I'm like at 110 days, somewhere around there now. And I started thinking about my recovery in months. Eventually, that's where you want to get to where it's you're counting it in years and where you're not on, on edge counting each day. And that eventually comes that's why I think in the first 90 days, it's really important in the first year, but it does give these uh, reflection touch points by day counting. And last, it helps others. The idea is that you're giving hope to newcomers, people early in their recovery that, yes, this is possible. You're a real life example of what can happen if you stay off Kratom. And, and this is an encouraging thing. And it's part of being a, a community. Day counting can be. When you're public about it, there is a strident argument for day counting that says, and I don't necessarily believe in this. I think it's too extreme. If you don't promote strict abstinence along with the day counting, saying that you need not consume any mind altering substances, that if you don't promote that, and have this sort of that tough love approach that this actually kills people. Like I said, this is a little extreme, but there is a sentiment in recovery circles that is day counting is really critical. And the thinking is addicts have ways of lying and deceiving ourselves. And if we have little trap doors in our recovery program, we will use those trap doors and to take uh, softer, easier way. What are the cons of day counting? Number one, it's a form of social coercion. Everybody has been in a meeting where the people with the most clean days, for some reason, are supposed to be up the higher up the pecking order. 
and there's peer pressure. It can produce feelings of inadequacy on one side and superiority on the other side. And nobody likes to be manipulated just through a social milieu like that. Two, it's a focus on quantity over quality. Like the days without a substance, in this case, Kratom, is not the only measure of whether or not your life is doing okay, or you're doing well. Three, it can lead to some comparison and self-judgment. And you might do some self-bullying. You might, and that comparison is really harmful when everybody's recovery journey is unique and there's different paces and different paths for recovery. And if you're doing this uh, comparing and despairing through day counting, it can be a problem. And last, which I think is the biggest issue, is the guilt and shame that comes with a relapse or a slip, especially at any point, at any day count. It can create the shame cycle that prevents you from stopping again and getting back into the path that you're on. And it just creates this cascade of negative feelings. You might not want to go back to your group and own up to it because of fear feeling judged and because of all these negative social pressures that I talked about already. So one larger argument against day counting is the harm reduction movement um, advocates that any day off a substance, any substance that causes problem or harm to you is a victory and that in general harm reduction saves lives and is a valid form of recovery. There is some evidence to that there's been research there's these two worldviews, total abstinence, which is on one hand kind of promoted by traditional 12 steps, and then the harm reduction movement, which in this case, in day counting, would be that strict adherence to an abstinence plan and counting each of those days isn't necessary, that any day that you don't use Kratom is a good day. And you can just keep trying that and it's not necessarily needed to count and report on that in any way. Those are the pros and cons. I think you need to make your own decision about what works. Think about your past attempts to quit other things. See if you find it helpful to count and talk about that in a public way. Or if, on the other hand, you've had bad experiences with it. On that note, if you would like a coin, I have plenty of them left. So send me an email or phone call, and I'd love to celebrate an anniversary, a Kratom-free milestone on air, or we can do it in private, and I can, in either case, I can send you a coin. All right. For the record, I just want to say I am for abstinence, especially for myself, and this complete abstinence for Kratom. I just... I went through a, a brief, intense period where I tried to moderate, and it was a definitely failure. And I don't think there's any harm reduction way to use it safely without it eventually spiraling back into a daily use and using uh, large amounts again. That's me. I think that many people who struggle with addiction, that might be the best way for you as well, but only you can determine that.
create them in the headlines. Before we get an article from the Journal of the American College of Cardiology about Kratom and heart health. I want to make a quick note about a dynamic that I want to try to avoid. And I believe that the Kratom industry is deceptive and obscures many of the downsides about Kratom and promotes falsehoods. Many Kratom advocates outright lie and gaslight people about the nature of Kratom and this desire that 100% of the time only positive things can be said out loud about Kratom. So with those dynamics, it is very tempting to try to overcorrect and go in the other direction to try to get a little balance in the truth. And I don't think that's a good thing, and I have to be aware of that. So this article we're going to discuss is not a slam dunk case against Kratom. There's some serious issues with the study, but I think it's a cautionary tale that we should keep in mind. So the article here is called Ventricular Arrhythmias Associated with Over-the-Counter and Recreational Opioids. And in the context with an opioid crisis and the reduction of prescriptions and access to opioids, the public is turning to over-the-counter medications, including things like Imodium and Kratom for pain relief and for a recreational euphoria. This article looked at a, some reporting data through some national systems, including the FDA's Adverse Event Reporting System or the FAIRS, the Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition Adverse Event System or the CARES, and the Canadian Vigilance Adverse Reaction System or CVAR. And they looked at stuff like Imodium, Methadone, Naltrexone, and Kratom itself. And what they found was that Kratom in particular was associated with a disproportionate number of reports of life-threatening particular arrhythmias in North America. So there were several challenges with the study. One was the universe of cases that were attributed to just Kratom. And it was only 46 there was, uh, and among those 46, 42 were associated with deaths or 91%, which was the highest by far of any of the other substances. The one of the problems with this was that other substances studied had 20 fold more of each than Kratom had. So there was 1100 methadone cases that were negative and Imodium, there was a thousand. Second, this study was totally associative and there was just a lot of inference. So it did call for clinical studies and further research. The study doesn't prove causation. And last, creating use is associated with greater poly substance abuse and adverse interactions with prescription drugs. And this study wasn't able to break that out. The conclusion was, although a convincing mechanistic link between kratom and heart arrhythmia is lacking, this finding suggests that additional in vitro and clinical research quantifying the arrhythmia liability of this novel compound is needed. This is 
essential to inform regulatory decisions in their ever-changing landscape of opioid use and abuse. Resource of the week. This is going to be short and sweet. I got a question about what was my favorite music go-to on a bad day. And my recommendation, and I wish my outro of the show could be a version of one of their songs, but I don't have the music rights to them, so I'm only going to be able to put a Spotify playlist in the show notes. But when I want an uplifting turn the day around or turn the moment around music, I go to this album from this duo called Bird and the Bee. And my favorite of their albums is them singing Holland Oates' greatest hits. The instrumentation is just brilliant. And I love the vocalizations. These interpretations of the song are awesome. It's a little bit of nostalgia. For me, my mom, when I was a kid, listened to like John Denver and Barry Manilow and Holland Oates too. And Holland Oates was on the radio a lot. It feels very familiar. You can have it in the background and you know the music and it's not distracting. And it just universally makes me feel happy when I listen to this. So the album is called The Bird and the Bee, Interpreting the Masters, Volume 1, a tribute to Daryl Hall and John Oates. There's great songs like Hurtin' on the Radio, Rich Girl, Man Eater, One on One, Private Eyes. Enjoy. Until next week, keep it Kratom free.